Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is the first day of school. Training camp is officially underway. Kevin Cole, part of the PFF Fantasy team, will join us a little bit later to talk about 49ers fantasy options. And with me this week, stopping by to tell us which washed-up 49ers wide receiver he'd pin his franchise hopes on, it's David Newman. None of the above. I want to hear it. I want to hear the washed-up wide receiver that you're like, you know what? You know what will save this franchise and keep this MVP in this spot? Randall Cobb. No, like Brandon Lloyd. You know, like like <laughs> I want you. To, I want you to reach deep into the dull into the Arnez battle. Wow, wow. I mean, that guy's got to be so old. When was he fucking playing? Yeah. Funnily um, enough, same age as Randall Cobb. I almost believed you for a second. <laughs> It took me, it took me, I was like, wait a second, there's no way that math adds up. You, oh man, listeners, if you could have seen the uncertainty in David Newman's eyes for just that flicker of a second, I, oh man, it was beautiful. It was glorious. Yeah. So, you know, you've got, uh, you've got Aaron Rodgers reporting, his, Randall Cobb was all it took, all of this, and it, it was just corn on the cob. That's all he needed. All the man needed. It's absurd. Look, the uh, heart train- wants what the heart wants. Okay. Jesus. Uh, but it, man, this snuck up on me almost. Uh, it was like, oh, training camp is here. It's like officially a thing. Uh, and, and here we are talking about uh, the things. Well, well, we've got a pretty good show lined up in terms of <laughs> pretty good show. It's not actually one of our best. It's just pretty good. <laughs> it's an average at best show. <laughs> but we've, so I, I basically, I, I stay away from 49ers and fantasy in general because I don't need the double heartache of both perhaps losing the game and then also losing the fantasy game because of a 49er. So I generally stay away. But, you know, and I know that sometimes homerism has these colored glasses that will tell you like, you know, oh, I'm going to go all in on this person or I'm not going to get that person. So we're going to get an objective third party to come in and talk (laughs) about 49ers fantasy options. His name is Kevin Cole. He's been on the show before, but he is part of the PFF fantasy team. So that's going to be a little bit later. David, though, is joining us here for the rundown because it's training camp. We've got news. And really, the news is that it's like zero days since the last accident. Training camp started day one. Here we go. Three players on the COVID list. Emmanuel Mosley, Jaquaski Tart, Jawan Jennings. Puts a real damper on my Jawan Jennings dark horse to make the roster. Um, kind of hopes. Just right off the bat. He's like, you know what? No, not, not going to do that. I mean, this is the only thing that that ever matters to pay attention to in training camp, right? In practices, it's just like, okay, what's the injury situation? Did we manage to get through the entire training camp and preseason without losing any major pieces? And then you don't want like any just like overwhelming kind of disaster stories. Like if if suddenly we're getting daily reports that Trey Lance like gave a trainer a concussion because he overthrew some receiver by thirty yards and took a guy out, like that's a problem like but but beyond like the the very extreme situations like that like it just i mean it's training camp man talking about practice yeah that's that's the stuff that's important so that and that's what we'll talk about here we're going to talk about snaps who is getting the snaps um and i think lance's accuracy is one of the things that i had on my list of things that i'll be watching and and not so much because we need to track you know whether they go five for seven in 11 on 11 drills that is largely meaningless information but you want to look at general trends, especially from people who have been watching these practices for a while. Um, so I think with Lance, the first reports that have practiced so far are that he looked better than he did in OTAs. He looked like a rookie in OTAs, kind of like really unsure of himself, taking the checkdowns. Now he looks a little bit more sure of himself and he's using hard counts at the line and certainly not uh, necessarily gaining on Garoppolo, who so far has had one good practice so far. But 
it, he is actually making a little bit of progress, which is great. That's what you would expect. That's awesome. But still nothing to to, to worry about. I think Shanahan had the, the quote where there's no quarterback competition right now a couple of days ago. Yeah. And I think right now is the operative term. I would be very surprised if there wasn't some degree of competition at some point here in the near future. Really quickly, though, on the COVID stuff, all the rules are interesting to me. And so if a vaccinated player tests positive and is asymptomatic, they can return to practice after two negative tests 24 hours apart. So basically, they can be back in as fast as like a day or two. For non-vaccinated players who test positive, they'll be required to isolate for 10 days. And the team is luckily over 90% vaccinated, one of 14 teams league-wide that has reached that mark. So good job to all the 49ers players who have been vaccinated. Well done. Round of applause. You can't see my hands, but they are clapping in a circle. Very as a good dad golf, does. Golf clap-esque. Yes, golf clap-esque. Uh, golf clap-esque. It was tough. Yeah, it is. Difficult. The syllables strung together very hard. <laughs> Uh, but we've, we've also got, uh, that's just not the only related injury here. But this is a warehouse. There are accidents. We had to reset the sign. Javon Kinlaw experienced some swelling in his knee. Normally, not something you worry about, care about, okay, whatever, except for the fact that Javon Kinlaw dealt with knee tendonitis before entering the NFL draft. And multiple teams reportedly flagged both of his knees as being at risk for arthritis when he was examined at his combine. You and me both, buddy. I get the feeling. Missed, he, he missed the two final games of 2020 with a bone bruise, quote-unquote, that led to a cleanup in January. And he said he was more than 100% by June, but now he's got some swelling. And and yeah, I mean, that that's not... Uh, when you have consistent things going on with knees, yeah. I don't know. I, my, my little heebie-jeebies start to tingle. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's certainly not great, right? Like, yeah, I mean, you you would love for these guys to all come in healthy and... Um, you know, not have any significant setbacks when they've been dealing with things like Kinlaw has. But I mean, we've seen plenty of examples, right, where that's not always going to be the case. And and so, yeah, I mean, it, really at this point, all we can do is kind of hope for the best and, and hope that he is able to recover because, yeah, I mean, one of those things, if it becomes one of those things that um, just kind of nags at him and, and lingers for a while and he can't really quite get over, I mean, uh, I don't think there's any question that's going to affect his ability to perform on the field. You've got Mo Hurst, you've got Zach Kerr, and you've got Javon Kinlaw all along the interior of the 49ers defensive line. At the end of this season, which of those three players do you think will have had a better season? Man. Give them to me all, all of them again. I was only like half paying attention. I didn't realize you were going to ask me a question right afterwards. So I was kind of like... <laughs> we're, just feeding, we're just peeking behind the curtain. We're clearly in midseason <laughs> form at this point. We're we're so we're so adept at this after Kinlaw, uh, Kinlaw Mohurst, Zacker, and yeah, that's it. There, oh, there are other people, but I feel like I those are the ones that at this point uh, because I think you've got Kevin Givens also along the interior. Um, but and you can add him in the mix if you want to. But of those three or four players, who at the end of the year has the better year? I mean, I'm uh, I'm highly disappointed if it's not Kinlaw. Highly disappointed. Um, I get that, but who do you think is going to have the best? Year? I mean, I like. I'm not going to pretend like I can predict this injury situation. If if he is able to come back and um and recover from this and be fine, and it has doesn't have any like you know significant effects on him, I, I think it has to be Kenlon. Like if it's not, we, we have a, a really big problem with him, and that's a, a different topic. Um, and obviously, like if he doesn't recover from this and, and that's going to be a, a season long thing that 
that impacts him. I mean, I don't know. I I want to say Mo Hurst, hopefully. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about him in a way. Like, I, I just think that there's a lot of ability there and potential. Um, and, and, you know, who knows, maybe playing with uh, some other quality pieces along the defensive line really, really helps him out. But um, yeah, I, I think it's obviously a, a significant drop off from the guy that you um, took in the top half of the first round to, um, you know, a bunch of players who are, are clearly on a different level, I think. So things that I'll be watching, I think we talked about snap count, and that's really the last thing here in terms of things that have happened so far. It's been one practice. It wasn't even a heavy practice, but you've got Tim Harris, who is taking starting cornerback snaps. Part of that is because you've got uh, COVID-19 corners, uh, Emmanuel Mosley, uh, and so Tim Harris is like getting those, those reps, even though Ambry Thomas and Dante Johnson are also in the mix as well. Not surprising, um, I think, so far. And Shanahan said that he that may change, but he had like a good spring, and so he wanted to give him some first-team reps. This is another situation where I'd be surprised if, for whatever reason, Emmanuel Mosley is not playing. Uh, Ambry Thomas, third-round pick, I would be surprised if he's not going to be the, the next man up or the first man up if, indeed, yeah. they've got some cornerback troubles. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, um, and and I think you want to be careful a little bit too, even with snaps, right? Because yeah, there's always additional context um, like this, like who they're um, resting or who's you know injured, and that's why they're getting reps. I think it's it's interesting to me if guys are like spending a lot of time playing in in different positions, like aren't you know positions? I guess that we haven't come to expect them to be in. I think that's always. Um, something to kind of keep an eye on and, and something that if you hear a lot of reports about that, it'll be something that I keep an eye on during preseason games, you know, to see like where they're playing because it's hard to know like what are they doing? Like are, are they doing this just because they want to get uh, a guy some reps there, give him a little bit of familiarity because they need a plan B, you know, if if something, you know, if injuries happen at a, a certain position, they might want to shuffle things around a little bit. And, and so they want to have a guy that at least is uh, somewhat familiar with that role and has spent a little bit of time in there. Or if it's, you know, a more significant thing where they're actually looking at making uh, changes and, and playing a guy in a different sort of role than we've seen him in before. Trey Sermon. Can't you can't knock you can't get me off that train though. He's getting first team reps. Raheem Mostert's getting eased into things with his in with his lower leg injuries. And he's also like, I mean, Raheem Mostert's not like exactly young. He's approaching that 30-year-old cliff. So yeah, like he he doesn't need a lot of practice to figure out what he's what he's got going on. Uh, but Trey Sermon getting first team reps. I think he is uh, we're probably gonna talk a little bit about Trey Sermon with uh, with Kevin Cole in terms of breakout backs and whatnot. So he is getting first team reps. So if you were already looking for sermons on Sunday, uh, you get some evidence here in the first practice. And lastly, Jalen Moore, they thought when he was drafted, the team was talking about playing him at guard, but it looks like he's playing left tackle with the second team. And Sean Coleman is playing right tackle with the third team. So at least one practice in, we'll see what happens later, but it looks like they're trying him out at tackle and specifically at left tackle, which is, I think, smart. You try them at the high value position first, see if it works out. Only if it doesn't work out and it's clear it doesn't work out, do you then move them inside? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the huge point, right? Like what what does it hurt for a guy that you're not expecting to come in and have a significant role immediately, right? Like it, it, his best case scenario this year um, is, is that he's a backup, right? And that he's uh, kind of a reserve player that's not getting a lot of significant game action. And, and so, yeah, you want to hopefully develop him at the position that is more valuable. And that's 
without question going to be tackle. And, and, you know, it's the position that he played in college. I think with the, the movement ability that he has as well, like absolutely. Yeah. I want to, I want to see him fail first at tackle before I look for, okay, what, what, where's another role that I can possibly squeeze him into. And that does it in terms of news. We'll, uh, we'll bring Kevin, uh, Kevin Cole here on in just a second, but yeah, I can't think of much of anything else. It's one practice. It's training camp. We'll have officially things to talk about from here on out. Scheme month is going to get kicked off next week. Um, and that is, I think, in terms of updates, all she wrote. Um, how far are you in Love Island is really the only other important thing <laughs> in the world. Uh, I need to know what I can reveal to you and what I should uh, Man, I'm not even... Li- my, my wife has basically just decided... She's just pushing forward without me. She started watching, um, you know, Love Island during her lunch breaks at work. Um, oh, she'll, wow. like, go and <laughs> she'll come out and eat lunch and, like, watch an episode of Love Island. And I'm, like, you know, usually doing other shit at that time. And, and so, like, yeah, I don't see it. So we haven't been doing that, but... Yeah, right now we're we're mostly watching. I mean, Ted Lasso came back, so we, yes. we watched Ted Lasso, which is incredible. Um, and then we also started watching another Apple TV Plus show, uh, Schmigadoon, which is what the is hell is funny. that? It's like a, a a parody on a musical um, with uh, mm. what's his face, Keegan Michael Key. Um, uh, okay, yeah, and so basically, I was skeptical until you said that. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty funny. Um, it's uh, we're, I think three episodes are available right now and, and it's pretty great. All right. I'm, uh, definitely on Ted Lasso. I think everyone who's listened to us at this point knows that we love that show. Um, so yeah, I think other than that, get, get on out of here, buddy. Uh, go have uh, a pint of ice cream or whatever's on your agenda tonight. And, uh, we'll catch up again next week for scheme month. And now a quick word from our sponsors. If you love listening to us here on the better rivals podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only 15 bucks a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen to us talking about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance of the program is limited, so get your application in. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Kevin Cole, it's good to have you back on the Better Rivals podcast. Welcome once again, uh, now in a different context. Less data, less Bayesian statistics, more fantasy talk. Yeah, you know, it's 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 getting to that time. I mean, we still got some time, I think, before most people are getting into the fantasy research. But we have training camp. We have video clips. We have uh draft positions moving up or down based upon <laughs> the most the most obscure little videos that are going on out there so this is we're healing we're getting back to normal nfl season oh are you kidding me i've already moved up uh i've I completely blown <laughs> up my fantasy draft board just based off of cd lamb's one-handed catch uh, in the end yeah. zone it's he's already rising up adp at this point it's it's not going to be uh, he's going to be like third player off the board at this point uh at this right here shortly but um, speaking of rising ADP, actually, let's talk to the the premier player or let's talk about the premier player for the 49ers. And that's George Kittle. 
His ADP average draft position is 28 overall. Kevin Cole, you have him at 22nd in your rankings. I'm curious how high is too high for someone like George Kittle. And I think a caveat for most of this discussion is I'll probably be using uh, PPR rankings just because I think it's the kind of the more popular, I think at this point in draft uh, or league setup type, um, although I think most minor half point PPR. So thinking about like point P- uh, PPR in general leagues, uh, how high is too high for George Kittle at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, like you said, I have him a little bit ahead of where he's going in some others. I think it's pretty close where I have him to where he was going the year before. You're getting a little bit of an injury discount. You're getting this big separation, I think, which is interesting between Kittle and Travis Kelsey. Um, I think some of that is justified, but what do you say? He's going like top 10, right? He's like somewhere in the eighth, like 10th round. Um, That seems like kind of almost a value pick for Kittle at that point. Yeah, no, I I think so. I mean, the concerns are legitimate about the fact that they're going to be a little bit of a lower volume offense. You're hearing the typical coach speak from Shanahan this offseason about how they want to run the ball 500 times and maybe they'll that they'll be able to accomplish that. You have a rookie quarterback who is probably going to play a significant um, portion of the season. So you got all those things coming into play, which could hold down Kittle. But the guy is just an efficiency machine. He's a run after the catch machine. Yeah. So I, I think the gap is just a little bit too big at this point. Although uh, both of those guys are studs. So why not just take the one you're going to get a bit cheaper? I mean, he's got 15.9 points per game uh, last season. He's still the focal point of the offense. He basically is the wide receiver one, even with Ayuk. And we'll talk about him a little bit later. But he's got 909 yards after contact since 2018. And when you look at the sample of weeks where Ayuk and Debo and George Kittle were all together, when all three weapons were at full strength, which was just three weeks last year, uh, he still led the team in targets across those three weeks. So I, I do think that he is, if, is he going to be someone you target like in the second round? Do you put him a, a, above some wide receivers? Where, you know, is, is the third round ruler where you're looking for him? I mean, in a 10 team or 12 team league, if you've got him at 22, I mean, that's that's basically like second round. Um, and and I guess if you're playing in smaller teams, leagues, it's a little bit a little bit later. But you think second round is, is right where you're targeting Kittle? Yeah, I mean, I think it's OK to do it there. I mean, typically, if you're going to be looking at him in that range, you're going to hope that you're drafting at the beginning of the first round. Right. So you'll be drafting near the top of the first round. You can grab one of the the big running back names probably there. And then when you're coming around in the second round, uh, the end of the second round, you can grab Kittle. And then from there, I think it's kind of less important. You have a lot of different names you can choose from if you want to go wide receiver. You know, you'll, you'll probably be able to get someone like uh, an A.J. Brown or uh, D.K. Metcalf or someone like that if you want to. Or you could even go running back again there. But I just think it's really, really a way to differentiate your lineup from others when you have one of those top tight ends. Because there was just a huge gap last year between the top couple of tight ends and then adding in Kittle as far as uh, points per game. And when you get down to even tight end four or five on the season, uh, the gap is so significant. It's just much more than you're going to see at any other position. Do you think that there's value in drafting a tight end early just because of the wide gulf from the top three tight ends to everyone else? I mean, you're talking about Darren Waller. You're talking about Kittle. You're talking about Travis Kelsey. And after that, there is a cliff. There's a drop off. And if you can get somewhere between 12 and 19 points a game from your tight end position when everyone else is trying to hit the, you know, kind of just luck into getting a big week from one of the other tight ends. Is there value in going after tight end in in the second round? If you can get one of those three, then maybe getting another wide receiver or something like that. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is. But again, I'm going to put Kelsey maybe in a little bit of a different bucket just because his cost is so high. I just can't take Kelsey before I'm going to take, you know, a top, top wide receiver or a top five, you know, top six sort of running back player. I just can't do that opportunity cost. But when we're talking about, you know, the end of the second round uh, where you're in this or the beginning or the third round or in the Waller and Kittle territory. Yeah, I think that's a good place to strike because otherwise, like you mentioned, the next guys that are on the list here, I mean, guys like Kyle Pitts is a rookie who's all the way up there um, as far as being the fourth or fifth tight end off the board. TJ Hawkinson, who everyone is going to be hoping for a huge breakout in an offense that's Pretty questionable is up there. You're going to hope Mark Andrews is going to bounce back, but just so many more question marks with the next tier of tight end. All right, a little bit of over-under with George Kittle. Uh, this These odds are from, or not odds, but these over-unders are from uh, Bet Online. You've got George Kittle, regular season receptions, over or under 92.5. Where do you think he lands? Yeah, I mean, this is like, you, you got to always factor in the the 17th game in these, in these situations. But oh, yeah, I, I would, I, I mean, I generally... Just everyone should know that unders are going to hit more often on these because everyone's a little bit optimistic on their projections. So I would say under, but we're pretty close in our projection. I mean, we project them for 89 catches, so it's close. But I think when you when you put that in, you put in the 17th game, we don't quite know what that means as far as how how much players are going to be held out, especially players at very intense positions like tight end. I think it's safe to go under, but he, he's going to be right around that number. All right, over under total regular season receiving yards, 1,050 and a half. Yeah, I mean, we, we have it 1,048. So, again, pretty <laughs> close there. Um, I, if you have to pick a certain direction, like I said, I always would lean under in those circumstances because there, there are these unforeseen things that can happen. But I can't, I can't fault you if you want to go over on it. Uh, and then over under total receiving uh, touchdowns uh, is six and a half, which I I mean, yeah, I guess maybe like there's that extra game, but I just feel like that's a little high. He's never scored more than five in a year, right? Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, it, it, a problem putting that in air quotes here about about Kittle's game is he hasn't been your, you know, red zone kind of jump ball type of tight end near the end zone. So I think that could be an issue. It could also be an issue. Like, again, we don't know about the Trey Lance factor, but if he comes in, you know, they might just be running it with him a lot in in the red zone and taking away opportunities from from a lot of the receivers there. So, yeah, I think that is probably the biggest uh, lean that I would have in any of these, and that would be to go under on the touchdowns. All right, you mentioned him, Trey Lance. Let's talk about him. Where do you draft him? I think his, right now is his average draft position is 153. He's quarterback 16. Uh, you've got him ranked 122 overall. Now, Shanahan recently said there's no competition, quote, right now, but first round quarterbacks don't sit all that much. Where, when and where do you expect Lance to start or provide value? And if you're looking at Dynasty, I think obviously you draft him, but even if you're in redraft, are you going to consider drafting him as your second quarterback? Yeah, no, I think he's a great pick for a second quarterback. And depending upon the league that you're in, I mean, if you're not in a a super flex league where you can start two quarterbacks. You're not in a two quarterback league and you're in a league that has 12 teams. Um, unless you're in one of these situations where everyone goes absolutely nuts and gobbles up all the different quarterbacks. I wouldn't hate just having him as one of your first quarterback picks and then having another that you're going to pick that you know is going to start week one and then kind of working around the guys who may be available on the waiver wire and hoping that he's going to hit later on because he just brings 
such upside running the ball on a higher plane than any of the other rookies. And this is a rookie class that can really move on the ground. And we've just seen it from fantasy football, you know, the extra points that you're getting for a rushing yard versus a, versus a, a passing yard and the extra points you're getting for a, a rushing touchdown in most leagues versus a passing touchdown. It just adds such a huge floor and upside to these guys that I, I like him around the, the range that he's being drafted. Uh, he's, he's starting to move up, though. He's been creeping, creeping up over time as people compare him to being like the Josh Allen type, the next generation Josh Allen. Yeah, I think the, the interesting stat that was in uh, the, the preseason preview of the, the 49ers fantasy prospects were that of all quarterbacks drafted since 2010, 71% of them, so 24 of 34, played in the first month of the season, the first four weeks. And of the quarterbacks drafted in the, in the top three, of course, of which Lance was drafted third, they've started an average of almost 14 games in their rookie year. So for Lance to not start a significant amount of games this season would be a would run against a pretty strong historical trend. And then the only quarterback at this point that you're staring at is like Jordan Love. Because even uh, Mahomes started week 17. And, and now you're talking about Jordan Love being the only first-round quarterback that hasn't started. And if he doesn't start this year, he'll be the only quarterback since Aaron Rodgers to not start in their first two years. So it is definitely the exception, not the rule, that, that quarterbacks drafted this high start and play some significant amount of snaps their first year. Yeah, you know, I took a look at this in the offseason, but it was mostly around comments from Matt Nagy and uh, what he said about Justin Fields not playing. And I think there's more of a question there just because the Bears are probably not going to be as good of a team overall. Um, I mean, I th- I know people are low on Garoppolo generally, but I would say he's still probably a bit of a higher end quarterback at this point in their careers than than Andy Dalton. So it is interesting there, but I I do think that it's probably driven a little bit more by pure team win loss record and playoff contention and things like that than necessarily how good the rookie quarterback looks, uh, provided that the veteran is starting week one. And, you know, the 49ers have a pretty light schedule this this season. So there is some like low key chance with the fact that there is the best weapons that Garoppolo has probably had since he's been there. The offensive line has been solidified. Everything that's going on there. If they can rip off some games to start the season, um, I mean, there's some chance that Lance could be left on the bench for a while as long as they're looking really good to, to come out of the gates. But that that's really going to be the question is what happens in those first few games to start the season. Yeah, I do think the early buy is going to be interesting. That week six buy as like, if I'm going to set the over under as to when Lance plays, that's where maybe things begin to change. I also yeah. think that the, the Niners, uh, Shanahan was asked recently if the Niners are going to have special packages for Trey Lance. And it's funny to hear him when he says, you know, no, I don't know, it's maybe a little too early. You know, you want to try to get them some game stuff, but you don't want to, you know, just have them working on these run plays that are like unique gadget type stuff. But you hear Lynch talk about when when Shanahan was super excited about drafting Lance, that he was drafting up all the, that he was drawing up all these wonderful special things that he could do with Trey Lance. I think that you're not going to say, you're not going to have an offensive guy who likes to create these plays and then say, you know what, sit on those plays forever. You're not going to run these plays just because Jimmy Garoppolo's quarterback. I think you're going to start to see packages with Trey Lance in the middle of the year. And what's funny is the Niners have done something like that before with Colin Kaepernick, where he had some snaps, had some plays, and then eventually Smith gets injured, which you know could be another similar thing that Garoppolo does too because his injury history is not super great. Um, so it's an interesting... We'll see what happens with that path. But 
I think I I personally would be a little bit tepid drafting him in redraft leagues um, unless you're in like a 12 team league or, or super flex. Then I think you have to take the chance because I think he legit has league winning upside if he ends up playing, uh, especially because of what he could do with his legs. No, yeah, no, I agree. And I think the bye week, like you mentioned, is pretty interesting because they you're going to hope that the Niners are going to be 2-0 and coming out against the Lions and the Eagles, but then you have the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. So if things go sideways in those three games they drop, that might be a, na- a natural place to move. But if they're 3-2 and going into the bye, I don't know. I mean, we, we did hear in the offseason, I thought it was pretty interesting in the post-draft press conference, that Shanahan really hit on the injury stuff with Garoppolo. It wasn't like so much that his play, uh, he was complaining about his play, although maybe he's just being kind by by not saying that, but he really did hit on the injury angle a lot. So, uh, you know, you pointed that out, and I think that has been a big factor is that the team has fallen apart without Garoppolo there in the past. Well, the 49ers have the easiest strength of schedule for QBs this season. So that's definitely something to consider as well. And I think their schedule, especially in the back half of the year, when you're talking, when you're looking at the playoffs is really interesting. So I think even I, I wouldn't probably draft Garoppolo, but I think the, the legs of Lance definitely have me enticed. He's not going to make it to my draft pick in the, in, in the dynasty league that I'm in. But man, whomever gets him, I think as a dynasty quarterback is going to be interesting. Would you last question on Lance? Would you draft Lance over Lawrence based on situation in a dynasty league? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I know that that has come up. I've seen people with that take. And to me, it's I mean, it's not like galaxy brain, but it's probably overthinking it. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the generational legit generational prospect for a reason. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence can move a lot, too. And Trevor Lawrence has been plopped into a situation in Jacksonville where you think that they're the worst team in the league. So it would be an awful situation. But he's got DJ Chark. He's got LaVisca Chenault. He's got uh, Marvin Jones there. You know, it's, it's got a decent but not great offensive line. They got a ton of picks going forward. I think his future is very bright. So I, I would default towards saying I'm going to take the number one pick, the like next Andrew Luck type of guy. Yeah, my recency bias with winning a league after drafting Lamar um, is is showing here. I just <laughs> I think that the the um, the a fan. I mean, everyone knows at this point that fantasy is not about the best players. It's about the players with the most opportunity. And, and yeah. it's the and it's the players in, in the best situation. And, you know, Tom Brady isn't going to win you a fantasy championship, even though he may win regular championships all the time. You know, it's it's the Josh Allen's of the world that are going to put up numbers because of what they can do with their legs. And even Lamar Jackson, for me, he I, I rode him to a championship simply because you know, he wasn't really the best quarterback per se. But man, what he could do with his legs. I mean, he, he prided a floor in terms of scoring. Uh, and if Lance is going to be used on the ground, um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a little closer for me, um, and maybe my homerism is showing. But this is why we have you on. You're here to check the homerism to make sure it doesn't just run rampant as I sit here in my Trey Area t-shirt, um, <laughs> which I'm actually wearing. Um, let's get to another position, though. Let's get to wide receivers. Brennan Ayuk, Debo Samuel. Right now, Brennan Ayuk is being drafted above Debo Samuel. His draft position is wide receiver 27, Debo wide receiver 35. So will Ayuk break out this year? You had a really, really interesting article that looked at 10 years worth of data and kind of compared Ayuk to similar players. What'd you find in that article and does it bode well for Ayuk's fantasy prospects this year? Yeah, you know, it did. I mean, it's one of those things where I think it depends on who you're talking to. I think people in the know are aware of the fact that how well he played last year, uh, especially fantasy people saw how well he played down down the stretch last year. But maybe your average fan isn't as aware because of the fact that 
um, you know, things didn't didn't go so well, basically, for the 49ers last year, and they were out of contention during a lot of this time. Now, you mentioned the fact that all three receivers didn't play together that much. Uh, when they did, the results for Ayuk were not quite as impressive. But then again, you know, some of that stuff was early in the season when he's a rookie. So you expect him to gather steam as as the year goes through. So I, I think that he looks pretty good. And I know we're going to mention uh, Debo in a while there. I think Debo was probably my preferred guy between those two, just because you're going to get more of a discount on him. Um, and it was tough last year, right? You really hate those foot injuries. You especially hate the Jones fractures. There have been seasons scratched from that plenty of times before, even when it happens before the season starts. So for that reason, he's had all this time to heal. I, I think he's probably just better just because, like, again, it's an opportunity cost sort of thing. You just don't have the same level of opportunity cost around him. You're not taking him rather than taking a Kenny Galladay. You're taking him rather than taking a, you know, a Mike Williams or a LaVisca Chenault. And one of the things that I found so interesting in that article was that you, of the 10 comparable players that you found that he comped favorably to, you, over, I think, eight of them finished as top 25 receivers in their second year. And I think getting a, a top 25 receiver, drafting him around 27, 28, um, it's not like the best value in the whole wide world, but it's it's right on par. Um, I'd be curious to see if Debo were going to land in the same area, especially because you've got the, the, the idea that Brandon Ayuk just gets higher value touches. Um, and this is really interesting because you, you think about what Ayuk does versus what Debo does. I mean, Ayuk felt for stretches like an actual wide receiver. And, and not to say that Debo isn't, but Debo was really the, the catch and run guy. And it's something that Debo said he's worked on this offseason to be a bit more than that. But it does seem like you've got the roles that are being defined and Ayuk is going to be the actual deep wide receiver Whereas Debo is going to be maybe a running back, maybe a screen, maybe a short slant, maybe that drift route. But Ayuk is going to be the downfield threat. And if that's the case, then even in like a, a low target share situation, just the targets that Ayuk gets are going to be higher value. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when Ayuk came in, a lot of people were saying that he was this run after catch type. So he may have kind of fit that that similar sort of mold. But I think he, he did stretch the field a bit more in college. Devo really played like a, a high level of screen game in that South Carolina system in his in his final season. And that that came over to the NFL. Um, but again, for me, I'm just always looking at like, who else can I draft around around those players? And like like I said before, um, if I'm taking, you know, there's like Adam Thielen, Deontay Johnson, uh, Kenny Galladay, Chase Claypool are all in that same area with with Ayuk. So it's just a much, much higher level of competition there. And that's why if I'm going to pick one, I maybe go to the other. And then maybe my projections are really off on this, but I have their target share being pretty similar, whereas their ADPs give a clear, clear advantage to to Ayuk. Yeah, I think when you look at his uh, his air yard share was relatively high, led the team. His deep target share led the team. His end zone target share um, led the team as well last year. But if you're, if you're looking for some more arguments for, for Debo, that may be just because of injuries, right? He had literally opportunities. Those targets maybe would have gone to Debo had he been healthy or to Kittle had he been healthy completely throughout the year. Um, so it's interesting. I think Debo or I think Ayuk is getting a lot of... Um, is, there's a lot of smoke around Ayuk. Uh, in my Dynasty League, He is, someone just traded actually... Ayuk for Debo and some other stuff. Um, so it's like you're, you're someone I think got a pretty good, a pretty good value there. Um, Cause if Debo doesn't finish too far behind Ayuk, he also got some extra stuff in that, in that trade as well. So interesting, interesting. I, I, I came into this thinking Ayuk was the clear play here. 
Uh, but maybe maybe you've consumed that Debo might be the, the the value pick here, and you can get someone else around the Ayuk draft spot. Well. Congratulations to me, I guess. On that one. I'll, I'll put that up on the board. Yeah, then there's the injury thing, too. I mean, you know, you've got injuries to worry about with Debo and soft tissue injuries and hamstring injuries. And generally people who um, who injure soft tissue like hamstrings are they're more likely to get re-injured. It doesn't mean they will. It's just something that can um, that can come up. So that's the other the other thing to consider as well. Um and and before we get to the last kind of big big backfield section, I wanted to ask you just about your thoughts on the 49ers fantasy offense in general because it's not an offense that has been a, an offense that you would really mine for fantasy people. It's not like the Chiefs offense where you're going to buy in. It's not like the Ravens offense where you're going to buy in because there's there's stuff to be had. The the Niners offense for fantasy hasn't always been kind of, you know, really someplace that you would go to. Over the course of the discussion so far, we just kind of presumed that you were going to go after some of these players. Has Is that expected to change this year? Is this the year where you're like, yeah, I'm going in and buying these 49ers assets because I think that offense is going to do well? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, the, the, the complication, though, is the rookie quarterback. And, you know, no matter how valuable that Lance is going to be in fantasy this rookie year. Normally, now it's not always the case, but normally the passing efficiency has a big bump in the second season or less often in the third season, as we saw from, from Josh Allen last year. So I think that could be a bit of a headwind for, for some of these players. Um, but the thing is, they're just a much higher level of talent than what we have seen uh, especially at the wide receiver position in previous years. And they're really hitting um, the second and third year windows, which are big breakout windows for those players. So there's a lot pointing towards the fact that everything can come together this season. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I've generally always stayed away for the the very reason that I, I can't do dual heartbreak. Right, You lose a game, <laughs> that's fine. But if all losing the game also results in you losing a fantasy league or a game or whatever, I don't want to get hurt twice. I already hurt deep enough. So I generally stay away. And, you know, the, the Niners haven't always had fantasy viable players. Like, even though they've had good offenses, it's you, you've not really had, like, a true number one wide receiver since, I don't know, God knows when. Um, I mean, Anquan Bolden was probably, I think, the last um, wide receiver that was really like, okay, there's, like, a, a fantasy-relevant wide receiver. But even then, you know, it was Kaepernick and, and it was, you know, Gore. But they were never, like, you know, top three, top five at their position type players. Um, and so, you know, it was maybe like Jeff Garcia in 03 was the last, you know, maybe quarterback that won you a fantasy championship. So it's interesting. It's interesting to jump back in. But let's get to the last big section here, and that's going to be about ambiguous backfields. You are very open in that you love targeting ambiguous backfields in the middle rounds of drafts. So, Kevin, tell me, what the hell is an ambiguous backfield and why do you like to target them in middle rounds? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll give credit to my man, uh, J.J. Zacharyson over at FanDuel, where he was kind of coining that that term here. And it used to be like, you know, undefined, something like that. But he's, using, he's using ambiguous here. And what it really means is that there isn't a clear cut lead running back. And the best way that at least I feel like you can determine that is just to simply look at where their positional average draft position is. And you could say, Okay, if someone's not in the, if they don't have, if a, if a team does not have anyone in the top 20, anyone in the top 25, some teams don't have anyone in the top 30, um, then you're saying to yourself, oh, wait a second here. We really don't know who the guy is going to be here because s certain times you'll have situations like you had on the, 
Patriots where there are like a clear committee type of roles and, and that could define why that would be the case. But very often, I think that's the case this year with the 49ers is you don't necessarily have something like that. You have a bunch of running backs who could all serve, um, at least a few of them could serve credibly as someone to, to work on all downs. So what you're going to hope there is that you're able to find one at a discounted price who can end up breaking out and potentially be like a hot hand situation that, you know, goes more than just a game, but can ride throughout the entire season. So you've got a, a running back by committee approach. And in this case, I mean, the 49ers meet that criteria. You've got, I think you've got Raheem Mostert ranked a 70th overall in your rankings. And the Niners running back doesn't come up until, you know, I think maybe 28th, 29th in terms of overall running backs. And so they definitely would qualify as an ambiguous backfield. Why is it that you like to target them in middle rounds? What is it about that ambiguity that you, that think that, that makes you want to think, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pluck those players? Because at least for me, I don't draft Patriots running backs for that very reason, because you never know who's going to pop off on a given week. The reason that, you know, the, the McCaffrey's of the world go early is because, you know, it's, it's that low floor. You can you know what they're going to get. Um, and so why, why buy into something that is kind of undefined? Well, the reason is there there are kind of two choices. Once you start to get beyond um, the first handful of rounds in a draft, if you're going to draft a running back. Now, if you want to just take all your running backs in rounds one through uh, three, one through four, that's fine. Uh, you'll be set at the position, but then you're going to be missing on a lot of high-end players, um, either at tight end, like we mentioned with Kittle or with Waller, or you're going to be missing out on the top wide receivers, which can be extremely valuable. So if you're if you're spreading out a bit more in the early rounds and now you're getting into later on, you, you have choices between a couple of different archetypes um, of, of player. One is like, let's say, on the 49ers, whether it's Raheem Mostert or Trey Sermon. So that's a player who you don't know. Like, you don't know who the lead bag is going to be. Maybe it's a committee. Maybe it's not. They could function as the first and second uh, down guide. They could also be used in the passing game. So there's, like, some chance that one of them could elevate themselves to going far beyond what their what, what their committee type of role is, if either via injury or the fact that they just emerge as a clearly better option, they can move into that range. The other choices that you may have at running back in those ranges are either going to be, uh, like, high-end handcuffs, so players who are behind someone like, say, a Tony Pollard who's behind Ezekiel Elliott. And sometimes those guys can be a little bit overvalued because it really is just a contingency based upon an injury that you're hoping for. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't happen. And sometimes even when it does happen, you're overconfident in who that next guy is going to be and what type of workload that they're going to see. So that that's another option who I would, you know, I would not prefer to someone like a Trey Sermon. And the, then the other guy would be, you're picking a really just a situational type of player. And most often we're talking about PPR leagues. We're talking about a pure third down type of uh, receiving back. And again, the ceiling is just not there with those picks. So the ceiling that you're going to get from a player who's in one of these ambiguous backfields is much, much higher um, if they can break out of a committee. And that's what you're looking to, to do is find someone who has that ability to break out. Interesting. So it's it's basically the the kind of you're looking for upside like a handcuff, but it, it's more, you know, not necessarily because you can't guarantee the upside, but it's like you're just giving yourself another chance because they're actually getting snaps and you're not relying on an injury in order to get uh, that upside if they, if they indeed break through. 
Um, that's interesting. Yeah, injuries just don't happen as often as people think that, that that they may. I mean, they happen, but for you to happen to have picked the right person and that happens to really all fall into place. I mean, very often it's some names of guys who are not even drafted who end up being that like handcuff type that elevates itself. I mean, a, a good example would be like a, a Daryl Henderson. You know, they're going to bring someone in. We'll see what happens. Maybe he will end up being like a really great pick for people um, if they picked him back, you know, in early drafts this offseason. But there's some outside chance that he won't even end up being as strong of a lead back as people think going forward. And that's one of the risks with the handcuffs. Well, I think the other example would be like James Robinson, uh, because when mm -hmm. when he ended up becoming, you know, the, the darling of the, the fantasy leagues last year, but he was an undrafted running back. And so I remember when uh, when it got to the point where Fournette is no longer going to be a Jaguar. And it's like, all right, who am I going to go get? Because there's some opportunity here. I just picked the wrong guy. Like both were available, and I, I think there was some. I forget exactly who it was at this point, but he was like the third down back who got some snaps, and so I'm like, oh, they're probably going to elevate him. Picked him up on waivers. It ended up being this Robinson guy, and you know the rest is history, right? So <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a little bit of that too. But at this point, Trey Sermon is being drafted above Raheem Mostert. Is that wise? Um, do you think that Sermon is at this point being overvalued, or maybe the better question is: Is Mostert being undervalued, considering that he brings the home run heat? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Mostert where, you know, he's he's a former undrafted guy. He had a breakout a couple of seasons ago, but I mean, he's he ain't young, right? He turned 29 years old this year and they decided to invest, you know, OK draft capital, not the the highest end draft capital, but they did. They made. Trey Sermon, the the fourth running back who was who was taken in the draft, and by that third round pick, I think that's says something. And when you look at Sermon, he does profile as someone who can carry that load at you know 215 pounds and could probably function decently in the passing game also. So yeah, I would definitely lead towards Sermon. I think there's some chance that Mostert could be the guy, but the positional rankings right now, at least I'm looking at some where it's 28th versus 32nd. It's fairly close. I just think that Sermon for me would be definitely the direction that I would lean also because if you're taking him at this point in the draft, you, you hopefully you already have a running back or two that you've drafted earlier who you can start. So you're going to be hoping for these guys to pay off in the situation in the mid to the late season. And I think a rookie is more likely to emerge out in those in that time frame um, if you don't need him right for week one. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think if you'd separate Dynasty from Redraft, I think in Redraft, I might lean Mostert a little bit. Um, in Dynasty, I think Sermon's definitely the way to go. But for me, I, I do think Sermon's going to get a lot of play this year. I do think he's going to be the the early down, first, second kind of role that Tevin Coleman played. Um, the, the thing that may ultimately tip the scales is going to be goal line carries. If, if we remember Jeff Wilson last year, Jeff Wilson got a lot of goal line carries. He's just a bigger back. That's what the Niners did with him. They did a lot of gap schemes down in the, the red zone. And I do think that Sermon may get those carries eventually if they don't go to someone like, I don't know, maybe a quarterback who can run quarterback power down in the red zone. Um, and so I do, I think if, if you could, if you had to pick one guy, much, much like I made you do with Ayuk and Debo Samuel, right? For, for fans to say, I'm going to go ahead and say Sermon over Mostert or Mostert over Sermon. Which one would you go with ultimately? Uh, it sounds like Sermon, but is that the way that you would go? Yeah, yeah. I'm going I'm to go Sermon. I mean, I've just seen too many times that the running back position, unfortunately for these guys, once you get up around 29, 30 years old, there just is a noticeable difference in explosiveness when you see 
uh, a rookie come in. And I think it's hard to ignore for for coaches. And, you know, typically it's the position that's more successful than any other position right out the gate as 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 a rookie. So I, I think for that reason, Sermon would be where I would lean. Yeah, I think it depends on for me, it depends on your because that, that I think that's the most the most common question that I hear, at least from fans that are like, you know, hey, you know, the Niners like what, what should I get sermon? Should I get Mostert? Um, to me, it's about risk. I think Mostert in any given week can pop off for 130 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, and I think Sermon's going to be more of like the 60, 80 yards, maybe a touchdown, maybe 90 yards, maybe 100 yards, just depending on whether or not the Niners are in the lead. And then they're trying to basically grind the game out. So I think Sermon's going to get more of that consistent stat line, whereas most of it's going to have like six points one week and then 20 points the next week. So it just depends on whether you're going after the upside or, or the consistent kind of play. Um, and, I, you know, I also wouldn't mind in these types of situations to say if you're if you're drafting around that area, you know, you grab whoever falls. And if one of them is falling even further than, than what you would expect, um, I, I don't have a problem with that also. You know, I, you don't have to target one guy. I think the key is you want to be playing the odds and then playing the the risk reward price all that stuff comes into play all right now i've got a curveball here for you hear me out wayne gallman <laughs> yeah you know i've heard i i did a hold did on a hold on so the, the other day with wayne gallman but go ahead give, give me give me the the, the gallman story don't don't laugh I, i'm like I'm, I'm i'm kind of joking but i'm like half serious okay so we've already talked about ambiguous backfields he is a feature of the ambiguous backfield he is one running back that is closer to playing time now that Jeff Wilson is out. He was signed as a free agent, so the team specifically went out to go get him. It wasn't like, you know, he's an undrafted someone or whatever, right? Like, he he is actually getting paid money to play. Last season, his story might sound familiar to Niners fans, right? Saquon Barkley gets injured. Devonta Freeman gets injured. Now he gets elevated into a, a heavy playtime role. He gets opportunity, scores five straight weeks. He has four weeks in the middle of the season with top 13 finishes for a running back. And he went for 135 yards against the Seahawks in week 13. When the guy has opportunities, he's been able to produce. And now he's in a situation where you've got a rookie running back in Trey Sermon, who, yes, is skilled. But, you know, pass protection may not put him on the field a whole hell of a lot. You've got Raheem Mostert, who definitely likes to be in a rotation. He's not the featured guy. Where are those other running back snaps going to go? If maybe you miss out on Mostert, maybe you miss out on Sermon and you're late in the round and you want to take a flyer on someone and you're targeting ambiguous backfields, maybe you go after Wayne Gallman. Yeah, I mean, I there is logic there. The only thing for me is it's one too many what ifs in this. Like, what if this happens and then this happens and then this happens? And I mean, I'll throw a little cold water on the, the Gallman signing that, you know, this was a one year Nine hundred and ninety thousand dollar contract. I'm not here this for your was, facts, Kevin. I'm not here for this. I'm this not was, here for you pulling this was salary like numbers. Before the NFL draft, <laughs> so this was before they decided to spend a third round pick on Trey Sermon. And I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers have a little bit of, um, they're a little scarred from last season, seeing like every running back on the entire roster and practice squad go down and, you know, uh, uh, hasty, Jermichael hasty getting, getting carries and other things are going on. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're holding on to Gallman, but he could be a guy who just, you know, ends up getting cut at, at, at some point once they're confident, the fact that they have some healthy guys going into the season. So, I mean, stranger things have happened, but I guess, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little bit more off of that train than and when I train, I shouldn't say because he's, he's being drafted very, very late in the, in drafts. But even that late, um, it's not a pick that I would totally avoid, but I, I'm not going to get too excited about it. 
Yeah, I think Elijah Mitchell is the other one. You could have replaced Wayne Gallman with Elijah Mitchell at this point in terms of names, um, and who knows, because he's the... I think Elijah Mitchell may be destined for the practice squad um, unless Wayne Gallman gets cut, in which case that throws all of the cold water on this theory that you can possibly have. <laughs> it's only a million uh, bucks, so he might be worth the insurance for them to keep around. It is only... Well, I, I think Wayne Gallman's not due, because well, and I'd have to check to see how many years he's had in the league, but he may be at the point in his career where he is going to be guaranteed a salary if he's on the week one roster. Right, um, right. And, yeah, I think I think he could be. Yeah. And if that's the case, then he'll likely get cut week one and just get brought back on as that ultimate insurance waiting in the wings, especially now that the practice squads have been expanded and you can put vets on there. Um, I yeah. think that that's where, you know, players like Gallman may ultimately get stashed. But all right. So we've talked about the main offensive position groups. It sounds like we are in on Trey Lance. We are in on Kittle. We're in on Debo. I'm a Debo convert at this point, even though I still love my dude Ayuk. Uh, and we're targeting the biggest backfield to Trey Sermon. Now it's time to get to our favorite part of the show, the quick hits. We, this is where we're going to go a little bit beyond the 49ers and into some other life stuff, but I want to hear quickly who your favorite buy low candidates are, the value players across the league that you might want to target in the later rounds of this draft that you think could hit. So in the later rounds we're talking about here, I mean, I mentioned Marvin Jones before, and I feel like, it's just a really interesting situation with the Jaguars because of the fact that, yeah, DJ Chark is a decent is a decent player. Don't get me wrong. LaVisca Chenault is interesting, too. But when we're talking about Jones. It's just so, so much later that you're going to be able to get him in drafts. I mean, I'm looking at uh, ADPs right now. It looks like Chark is around, depending upon where you're looking at, around wide receiver 35 and then 37 for Chenault. And then Marvin Jones is back at 56, probably another 50, 60 draft picks later. So he's a guy that I'm almost scooping up in every single draft just because I feel like he has the chance to lead that wide receiver group. And he's always been a pretty good player. I think he's been an underrated player throughout his entire career. So I would say that's that's the wide receiver pick that I would go for. And then at running back, um, again, we, we talked about the ambiguous backfield. So those are really the ones that I'm going to to target in that range. If it's not someone like Trey Sermon, then I think there is a lot of interest in the, you know, it's weird to say that the Jets backfield you might be interested in, but I think, you know, former 49ers, uh, 49er player, when we're talking about Tevin Coleman could be interesting or Michael Carter, either one of those guys. I think Coleman in particular, because he's just so cheap and he's someone who knows the system, knows the offensive coordinator, and he's not going until you know, maybe like the 12th, 13th, 14th round. Um, there's not a lot of competition there other than the diminutive Carter who they took in the fourth round, but Carter's being seen as like he's the starter for a fourth round draft pick. Yeah, and you're not going to find a lot of uh, Tevin Coleman converts on uh, this pod. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're Talk bro- about a guy who can't stay healthy. I know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy was basically the, the pariah for the backfield all of all of last season for the 49ers. It was like, you're paying him how much? Don't pay him that much money, but... Um, what about anything in the mid rounds? Um, because I, I I do feel like buy low is not necessarily something that you do in like the first two, three rounds. You know what I mean? So like, let's talk about some mid round players. Anyone in there, uh, maybe four, five, six that you think would also be good buy low. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to say buy low, like as if they've, they've fallen that much, but I think at, at the running back position, guys who are in the middle sort of rounds, I mean, I like Javante Williams a lot as far as we're, we're, we're talking about rookies again. I think there's an outside chance that, Melvin Gordon is not even on that roster come week one. We'll see what ends up happening there, um, whether it's trade or whether it's someplace else, because he was this guy who was Williams was really, in my opinion, right there with 
uh, Najee Harris and with Travis Etienne, but he, you know, he, he's, he's much, much lower as far as where he's being taken, um, especially compared to someone like Harris. And he really has that workload as a three down type of back. So I think he's interesting. Chase Edmonds is another guy leading a ambiguous backfield. He's the top running back being drafted there for the Cardinals, but is not until well into the mid rounds. So he's another guy that I think is really, really interesting as far as a running back. And then, you know, I'm going to go back to wide receivers in the mid rounds here. I mean, there's just so many different guys that <laughs> that I like there. But Chase Claypool, I'm going to say that he is really my favorite. It's interesting. We were talking about him like he was literally Calvin Johnson, Megatron after a few weeks into the season last year. And just the way that that offense fell off, we all forgot about him. And I just think the talent is immense. And again, versus Juju Smith-Schuster versus Deontay Johnson, like why not? Chase Claypool to be the number one guy there and people are really off of him versus some of these other second year players um, where they were so so high on him around four or five weeks into the season last year all right next I, I meant that to be a quick hit but I just really wanted to know what players I should be doing my research on because it's coming up and I haven't done any research <laughs> so I'm like all right who else? what else tell me some more uh, but all right in your opinion best draft position do you like to draft early late or somewhere in the middle Oh, definitely early. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, if you can get him with the number one pick, I'll take that and then and then come around at the end of the second round. Interesting. I know I know some folks that love to draft at the turn uh, if you're in a, in a snake draft at the very end and just, you know, kind of that way you're not have to worrying about overpaying and, and doing everything early and you can just kind of get the value that falls to you late. But you're you're in the early camp. You like to do it, huh? Yeah, I mean honestly, the, the, the odds have been in your favor to do that. That's why in some leagues they've even instituted a different type of draft where the third round switches and reverses so that the people who draft early in the first round don't also have early third round picks just because the advantage has been there to get one of those top running backs yep. early in the first round. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. I'll have to think about that. That's interesting. Uh, Olympics are going on. What's your favorite Olympic sport that's going on uh, over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go. I like the skateboarding when I was watching, which I was surprised by. And you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to throw a shout out to to beach volleyball because I've seen a lot of beach volleyball slander out there. Um, I remember I, I mean, I'm a bit older, so I used to watch uh, Karch Karai, if you believe that, growing up back in the back in the 90s. So uh, beach volleyball is also up there for me. I have no idea what string of words you just put together. Uh, I don't know what a Karch Karai <laughs> is. The only thing I can think of is that is a, a potentially the greatest volleyball player ever. But yeah, look. Bro, it sounds like you just said kolache, and I know kolaches, <laughs> and and kolaches are delicious. Kolaches are fantastic, but I do not think kolaches can play beach, beach volleyball is all I'm saying. All right, wide receiver that you have in irrational like for. I was talking about Arnez Battle with David earlier today. Uh, just a, a wide receiver that you're like, you know what? There's no reason I should like this guy, but I'm going to go ahead and like him. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan. I was a huge fan and a huge backer of Preston Williams, even going into last season. So for some reason, I think the guy's still going to survive and still going to break out as a former UDFA in his third season here. So I I'm still hanging on to hope there. Preston Williams. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting one. I, I don't think you're going to win that bet, but it's, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's, it's called a rational like for a reason. Uh, all right. And lastly, uh, talk to me about your dynasty gem. Who is the player that you were thinking, you know what, not going to necessarily go early. Uh, I think Antonio Gibson was this for a lot of players, uh, for a lot of people last year. But who's that dynasty gem that you're like, man, I think this guy's going to do it for dynasty leaguers. Hmm. So this year, I actually think that this year is going to be 
I mean, I, I'm sorry, I, I already hit him once before, but I, I just think that J- Javante Williams would probably be my number one guy. But then an, another guy who I think could emerge this year, and I know everyone's really off on him, is is McCall Hardman. If anyone has him and was so, so disappointed last season, I feel like he could go off this season now with the, with the path cleared for him. So I think it's redemption season for Hardman. Well, that does it. Kevin, thanks for coming on. You've got your own podcast now, Unexpected Points, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Do some interviews. Do actually a lot of solo stuff there, too. Uh, I, I used to think it was going to be tough to just be a gas bag and talk for 45 minutes to an hour, but it, it's going all right. Well, if you're tuning into this podcast and you want to hear some more of what Kevin has to say, tune in to Unexpected Points. Always love to spread the podcast love. Kevin, it's been great having you on, talking about more than just statistics and numbers uh, and actually talking about some other stuff, some fantasy stuff. Uh, so thanks for coming and sharing on your, yeah, sharing your thoughts and removing some of the Homer glasses uh, from Niners fans to, to help them draft fantasy uh, players from their own team. All right. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great.